in our return to meeting in person. We've talked about worship and praise and lamenting. Um, this week we're kind of shifting gears and talking about church and, and having a look at this very short but helpful passage on, on what church is. I'll get out of your way, Bob. Gone. We're good. Okay, I'm just reading from the service sheet, so you can read along if you want to. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I feel so far away. I'm going to come a bit closer. Okay. Um, when I was at Armidale and working full-time in SRE in the high schools, the schools at Armidale, they'd, they'd clear out the last 10 days of school and call it Term 5 and just put on activities. All your things, a lot of fun, and I got to do some interesting things. But I a few times got put on this peculiar thing called model making. And I was put on this, you know, it was kind of hidden away in the back of the school in one of the crusty old science labs uh, with a science teacher who was actually Indian and couldn't speak very good English. I don't know if I was there to keep the kids in line or him in line, but that didn't really matter because these were like the kids that were quiet around the school. You'd never really see them until they turned up and they'd have this little box and they'd pull this box out and it'd have a thousand little pieces of balsa wood or metal or... I just didn't even know this kind of stuff existed. And they'd spend all the week with little glues and little scalpels and little paints and who knows what the fumes was doing to them. But they'd, by the end of the week, produce this, like, little car, scale, 1 to 32 model of a, I don't know, Porsche or something like that. Or, or they'd create, like, a World War II, um, like, aeroplane. Or, or some of them were into this thing called Warhammer, which I don't know whether you've heard of that but these little figurines that they ended up battling each other with somehow at the end of the week. Now, I didn't get the appeal, as you can probably sense, but it did give me opportunity to connect with some of the quieter kids, quieter kids, and it's not the kind of thing that I think I would have patience for, but who knows. But what it did, what it reminded me of was that having a model of something actually helps you to appreciate it, helps you to better appreciate what it is. Um, I mean, for these kids, they could probably never, you know, they were making things that there's only like a few of in museums around the world or, or a car that they probably won't ever be able to afford and things like that. But having the model of it, it kind of gives you, you know, something to reflect on or something to, to find the beauty of that thing in the model given to you. Now, in a loose way, in a loose way, this passage does that, I think. This passage in the book of Acts, it, it isn't one with a whole lot of instruction. It's really just a description. It doesn't tell us exactly what to do. And speaking on the topic of church is actually a really tricky thing. I kind of zigged and zagged between a whole bunch of verses 
And really, when you do a study of this in the Bible, there's the church, the word church is used in, in so many different ways that it's not always clear what it's talking about. There's several metaphors that actually clarify. So sometimes we talk about the family of God, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that kind of idea. Sometimes the New Testament talks about the church being the new Israel, the new people of the covenant. Sometimes we're talked about of as the bride of Christ and Jesus is the bridegroom and, and the wedding of the lamb. and the, you know, It gets complicated, doesn't it? Or we're talked of as the body of Christ. He's the head and that we are the body and it helps us to understand serving. And if you think about all those metaphors, they're things that exist as ongoing entities. Like the body of Christ doesn't cease to be the body of Christ at 10 o'clock when everyone goes home. It's an ongoing thing throughout the week, every kind of, you know, 24-7 kind of thing. But then there's definite times when the Bible talks about the church as being a gathering, the gathered people. Um, so you might read in the book of Acts the picture of the church or the church that met in the house of so-and-so or they were together on the Lord's Day because that was commemorating the, the day of the resurrection. And so you've got all this stuff going on at some time. And so we might do the same thing. We might say, I was at the church this morning. I was at church this morning. Where were you? I was at church. Just as much as you might say, look, when I moved to Evans Head, the church family really took me in. And you've used it in two different ways, but we understand what it means. Now, when you really get into the theology of it, you can talk about a thing called the visible church, like who we see, and then the invisible church, who are the, really the believers. And I'm not even going to go close to that, to that, that today. But... I kind of think of these verses in Acts as kind of low-hanging fruit, something that's really easy for us to look upon and relate to and reflect on. And I reckon every time, like, like absolutely nearly every time, I've read this part of the Bible, these seven short verses, five short verses, I can't count, but these few verses in the book of Acts, they're just like so, so encouraging. I find these verses such an encouragement in the way, that, the way that those models kind of give you something to look at and, and to reflect on and, and to, you know, kind of even aspire to. And it's kind of the way that these verses paint for us the three-dimensional kind of uh, fruit that, that is produced as the gospel's being proclaimed so we've got to remember the context of the book of acts and really in that context you see from the start of um, chapter two of the book of acts that the holy spirit has come to the to the disciples to the ones that have been waiting for the outpouring of the spirit the the power that would empower their preaching and their mission and peter's got up and he's just spoken the gospel so clearly and finally in, in at the end of all this i'll just read the couple of verses that precede what bob read for us with many other words peter warned them and pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accepted his message were baptized and about three thousand were added to their number that day this is a remarkable picture 
of people coming to faith, people coming to find the hope that, that you know as Christians. And so what flows, what Bob read for us, is a summary of what God sending the Spirit and, and the preaching of the gospel does. Now, it is an ideal picture. So the, the fact that it's an ideal picture kind of makes it a little bit tricky because it doesn't take long to see when you read the book of Acts that they didn't always have favour with the people that were around them, like it says in verse 47. They didn't always enjoy the favour of the people that were around. In fact, persecution breaks out and, and the whole thing, this, this central church meeting, just gets scattered. But, you know, it actually serves to, um, to advance the mission. But that's kind of uh, the, the next stage of this. But for this part, we just got to remember that this, this is ideal and it, it doesn't exactly stay this way. And the other thing that you've got to realise is that the believers didn't always live up to the standard that these passages set. But, given that we've been through like some pretty significant change for what it looks like to be church, not what it is to be the church, but what it looks like to meet and to gather, and, and we've had restrictions in our meeting in this season, I just want us to be really clear. I'm hopeful that, that looking upon this and seeing in our lives that there are a group of people around us that we can commit to who are committed to the same gospel and that we would be committed to one another. So a really simple outline for today. I actually even printed an outline underneath the Bible reading. Basically in two points, verse 42 gives us four devotions or commitments that Luke, the author of Acts, tells us about. And then 43 to 47 roughly give us four marks or, or four qualities or features of this group of people. So first of all, their, their first devotion was that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now helpfully, this is modelled in Peter's speech that as an apostle teaching, he didn't just think up things on the spot to say. And he wasn't just a witness to the resurrection. He actually, if you read that speech, goes through the book of Joel, the book, uh, the book of uh, Samuel, and a psalm, I think. He really shows us that the apostles taught the whole Bible. They taught the Old Testament as Christian scripture and they had authority given by Jesus to teach what they'd seen and heard and what had been taught to them. And for us, this is by and large what the New Testament is. The preserved writings of those whom Jesus put into positions of authority to spread the gospel and help apply it to all of us. Now, as I meditated on this over the, the week gone, I think it's too simplistic. If we look at this and think, I can be devoted to the apostles' teaching, I'll just make sure that I keep up with my Bible reading, that I'll just be a good reader of the Bible. You know, if you think that way, you can very quickly go, well, why do I even need to go to church? I can just read my Bible at home. I'm sure people have said that to you plenty of times before. But the first problem is that being committed to just reading the Bible for yourself, that actually isn't the same as it being taught to you. There's something unique about having someone set apart or people set apart who will spend time and, and 
knowing you and knowing what it says, kind of bring those things together. But then that kind of thing, well, is there a second problem? There's no apostles here to teach. How can we be devoted to apostles' teaching when, look, I'm not an apostle and there's no apostles around here, none of the elders are apostles and I hate to break it to you, you're not an apostle either. The apostles, were, that was an office that, that was set up by Jesus. There was 13 of them. There was the 11 disciples because Judas was, you know, he, he was an apostate. He... he discredited himself they replaced him with Matthias and then there was Paul and he calls himself an apostle abnormally born but basically there was 13 of them they were the ones that carried the authority but that's the thing they're the authors of the New Testament letters aren't they that's where we get our teaching from so it's not too complicated an issue to resolve but what is central is that we've got to be devoted to having the Bible taught to us, having the Bible expounded to us, brought to life, applied into our lives. Now, what about all the Bible teaching that we can hook into, like by looking it up online, by podcasting it here or there? All churches across the world, even if they weren't doing this, over the last few months they've been doing it now. There's so many different ways that you can tune in to people's teaching. Well, I just want to make a case why it's important to be taught in the community that you live and worship in. See, it's actually modelled. Throughout the New Testament, as churches are created, as they're formed, as they're planted, whatever term you want to use, they're, they're established with teachers to teach the word to them. Sure, the letters would have been flying around and they would have been instructing from the Bible, but there was teachers in place to do that. And I can think of at least two passages where we're actually commanded to submit to our leaders. In Hebrews 13, like we talked about a few weeks ago, in 1 Peter 5, and I'm sure there's more spots, where, where part of living in Christian community is acknowledging that, that people are established over us, not to, to rule over us, but to humbly teach us to bring God's word to life for us. So that's the first devotion. And these guys are devoted to that, to the apostles' teaching. They're hungry for it. What's the second thing? Well, they're actually committed to one another. They're not lone rangers, okay? There's an awareness that what they've experienced in Jesus, they actually have in common. And it's, you know, awesome that it's not just that they have lots of things in common and Jesus is one of them. In fact, churches are should be and often are the most diverse groups in any community because what we hold in common is Jesus we might you know have varying views politically varying views um, on social issues we might have varying views although those things will be informed by our faith but our preferences our cultural backgrounds all that kind of stuff it kind of is very secondary because we're a community formed by what we share in common. And do you know that it's even more than that? God in his wisdom actually has put other people in our walk, in our path, to grow us with, to be transformed together. See, our lives are not just walking in the same direction, but they're actually set to be keeping in step with one another. 
The devotion goes not only to God but to one another. And it's being faithful to Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you. The third thing they're devoted to is breaking bread. And it's a little bit ambiguous the way that that's written, but that is most likely uh, the Lord's Supper. Most likely a reference to the Lord's Supper. And really, if you think about it, coming around an act of com- the act of communion kept the gospel central to their life because it's where Jesus' death is proclaimed. It's at the centre of what they do. I was actually once part of a church where, in the churches of Christ, they actually do that every single week. And it's a really powerful thing to have happen because it keeps the gospel at the centre. And then the third, fourth thing, sorry, that they're devoted to is to pray. Praying to God, submitting to God by coming to him with their needs, their worries, and presumably doing this together. And really, if you think about prayer as us communing with God, it brings those four things into a, into a complete circle, doesn't it? That God would teach us, as we're devoted to the people that teach us his word, that we would share that life together, that we would keep the gospel central, and that we in turn would commune with God. See, some lists, when you get them in the New Testament, are exhaustive and others aren't. And what I mean by that is that some tell you everything that is true or list everything that is sinful that they want you to think about or um, everything that you should be doing because of this truth. But then there's others lists in the New Testament where they list lots of examples, but really you could keep going with as many examples as you could kind of fit in to the context. Sometimes it's because of the culture that the context is there. Sometimes it's because of the need of, of that particular church that was being written to. But because it describes to us what they did here, I don't think that this verse is completely exhaustive. I mean, presumably the first church that met did more than just these things. I mean, presumably someone cleaned up and someone welcomed people in and someone cooked the food and all that kind of stuff. But what is really clear about this verse is that this is where their devotion laid. This is what they were devoted to. It makes it a pretty clear list of where a church collectively puts their focus, their time, and their energy. See, the group of believers born out of the coming of the Spirit and the preaching of the gospel, they were committed to being taught. They were committed to praying with one another, for one another, together. They were committed to celebrating the gospel and committed to the other people that they were doing that with. Wholehearted commitment. So, let's turn the mirror. How about you? How about me? How about us? Just think, before March, back then, when... We knew a kind of normal. Were those your commitments then? Could you say that you were devoted? And the way I defined that before, focus, time and energy. What about, how is having the opportunity for these, these kind of devotions to be taken away to some extent revealed how devoted you were or weren't in those things? 
Now, I expect that there would be a whole variety of answers. If I actually served today due on that right now, I would hear a whole bunch of things. But during those months, April through to June, while we would have had very different experiences, I heard people say things. People shared things with me. They said how much they learned and how much they appreciated the teaching that we put up online. How much people missed being together and seeing one another. How in that time they really grew closer to God because they had to be more deliberate. They just couldn't sit, you know, turn up and, and plonk, plonk down and, and take it all in anymore. It was a bit more involved. Some people actually forged really good friendships by making that extra effort to connect with someone on the phone or something like that. Some people were really encouraged. I've witnessed people connect with others in quite unlikely ways. Sometimes it meant growing in patience with others. Sometimes it meant people were coming to join us online who aren't normally here with us on church, which is a cool thing to see as well. The point is that these times that we're in may be a catalyst for us to change, but at the very least, they're going to reveal the devotion that we have in our faith. And we'll either find encouragement or find that we're lacking in some way. Or maybe a combination of both of those things. But here's the thing. Verse 42 doesn't come to us as a command, does it? We're not commanded to be devoted to these things. It's actually far more dynamic than that. The command in chapter 2 of Acts is, is Peter preaching to everyone. It's in verse 38. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who call on the name of the... Sorry, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The, the command is clear to be believers, to put your faith in Jesus. Yet it's, it's no accident that what could be said of these spirit-filled converts was that they were devoted and that they were precisely devoted in these ways. It's no accident at all. So as we navigate these times of change, where some of us, I reckon, are overjoyed that we're meeting together and other people are longing for the lockdown to come back again because it was just so, you know, cruisy and peaceful and, you know, maybe they're still at home in bed right now. And still others of us are going to be longing in our hearts for the days before any of this went on where we could just fill the hall up and have the kids run around and stick here for a couple of hours and keep drinking coffee with each other and all that kind of stuff. Remember that our calling as a church, is to be people who believe the gospel and let it form us into a community out of that. But a community that centres on that. See, flowing from verse 42, verse 43 to 47, give us what I've termed four marks or, or, or kind of like four traits, four qualities or characteristics of that community that will be formed. And the first one is there, that they were filled with awe. As God was doing stuff among them, they were really tuned into it. They knew it was God. They knew it wasn't them. So, sure, even though it says that many miracles were done at the hands of the apostles, it's not the apostles that they're in awe of. 
They're being grown, awestruck in God and his goodness. And then the second mark, generosity. See, generosity is a tangible and practical expression of love, isn't it? It says there that they held things in common. And to hold stuff in common shows that their life had a new value. It had a value bigger than just the possessions that they owned. As they found the gospel, they've recognized that their greatest need has been met. So they're not worried about their daily needs. Even to the point where they're, you know, willing to sell property. Sell property to to be able to fund their generosity. It reminds me of that parable that Jesus, so it's like a one-verse parable where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in a field. He went and sold everything that he had and he bought up that field. That's how much he treasured it. It's kind of like that. They've, They've found the greatest treasure. So now the other things just grow dim. Generosity has a gospel shape to it. And the gospel has God's generosity at its heart. So there you go, the second mark, they're generous people. Now the third thing is really that bigger sense of church. They were a community. It actually says there they, just, they met daily. Think about that. I don't know whether you find it easy or hard to get the family in the car or get yourself organised or wake up in time to get to church. I don't know about you, but I've been finding 9 o'clock starts a bit harder than 9.30, um, and we, didn't, we got started at about 10 past 9 anyway this morning. But just think about that daily meeting. What does that even mean? I think it's a daily involvement in one another's lives. Like I said before, not just walking in the same direction, but walking in step with other believers. They're in the temple praying. They're around each other's dinner tables. It's incidental as much as it is formal, like this is formal. But all of it, is, it's not begrudging. It's, it's in a spirit of, of gladness that they have one another in their life. And notice there, the fourth mark is that it's missional. They see the favour of all the people. God is daily adding to their number. It's not just that people are coming along to stuff, but people are being saved when they come along. There is something attractive about this new life. It's saturated by the gospel. Again, I'm not sure that this is an exhaustive list. But what a thing it gives us to measure up to. We've spoken a lot about that third and fourth mark as a church, about being a community, and a fair bit also about being on mission as a community. Really, over the last decade, in our preaching and teaching and stuff we've put out, we've really hammered home those truths, haven't we? And I think in doing so, we've really helped orient ourselves as a church here to be less busy with church events and more able to be the hands and feet of Jesus. More able to be involved in one another's lives for all the incidental stuff. But I also think in doing so, somewhat unintentionally, or unintentionally but at some times, I think we've neglected some of the other things. 
of being in awe of God. That's why we're studying through the rest of this year the book Enjoying God, to try to actually help, help counter that a little bit. That we wouldn't just be people that focus on what we do, but on who we do it for, whose presence we do it in, why we do it, the God that is among us as we do it. So because that's out there, if you want to share with me at any point how that book's helping you, then please write me an email, come and see me, or or don't just tell me, but tell one another. But to sum up what I've been saying so far this morning and, and to bring this all to a close, there's actually a lot of church leadership gurus speaking into this moment in church life. They've got a lot to say, and a big thing that they're trying to say is that this is a big opportunity that churches have to reset what they do. And you can kind of see the logic and truth in that. And when I brought that up with the elders, we talked about that and we pretty much agreed that as a church, we don't think that this is a time to impose a whole lot of changes. There's limits put on us, but we're really just adjusting to what we do. But you know what? A reset has been forced upon us. That much is inevitable. Our direction will not change. But as things gradually are reintroduced, as the reset resets itself and reboots and things kind of come to life again, then my prayer is that this passage really speaks into your part in that. That knowing these devotions, that they would be devotions that you are devoted to that these characteristics would be things that that we are praying that would, would be happening among us. That we would have this perspective in, in what we do as we play a part in this. Because it would be very simple, wouldn't it, to just kind of turn up and go, oh, is this all that we can do now? I'm, you know... Just call me up when we can get the band back together and get a big crowd of people here. I'll start coming back to church then. See, it wouldn't be that hard for any of us to think that. And look, sadly, I'm sure there are people that will have that attitude. And they might sit and endure, or they might just stay away for that very reason. But I tell you what, church fundamentally is not about you. It's not about me. It's about these things. In fact, this makes it really clear. It's about Jesus, and then it's about the community, and then it's about those that we reach together. And it's really that simple, isn't it? So as we go through this together, what is it for you? What do you need to know and hear? Do you need to rejoice in being part of a community with these devotions, as they are your devotions, and you're kind of like really solid on that? Or do you have some repenting to do? that you've been more loosely committed to those things. And, you know, now you can see that. And as you look at the marks of a gospel-shaped church, where do you want to see God grow you? Is it in hospitality, having people around, making them welcome? Is it in your generosity? Is it in your commitment to other people, making that effort to follow up that email or phone call or things like that? Or is it just to be more aware of God and spend more time, devote more time to just enjoying Him? 
See, our context is different to these first believers. The, the context of these first believers is different to the believers five chapters later in the book of Acts. But the thing that doesn't change is the gospel. The thing that doesn't change is the Holy Spirit that is outpoured on believers. The word is the same. And th- there's still other believers to share with. We still pray together. See, shouldn't we in God's grace, in God's grace, expect these verses to be able to describe us? Where does your devotion need to grow or expand or deepen in that hope that together we might reflect this picture? See, we've got a lot of things going for us. We just need to pray that we would be going, that we would be realising these things together that we might be abounding in the fruitfulness as we're transformed individually, transformed continually as a community, and really that God would be adding to our number people who are being saved by Jesus. That's something to pray for. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for what this does for us. Lord, to set before us, Lord, the fruit of your ministry. Lord, as Jesus walked this earth and formed a community around himself and then set his own spirit in their hearts and and set them loose on a world desperately in need of the message of the gospel, desperately in need of your presence in their life. And Lord, free to know and accept and grow in this message. Lord, we thank you that it's recorded here for us. And Lord, we do pray that in your grace, that these verses would describe us. Lord, that for all that is going for us, Lord, that you would be the strong engine driving us along. Lord, that we would see people bearing fruit, bearing your likeness, maturity in Christ. And Lord, that you would be adding to our number people who were lost and people who are now found in you. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.